every time there's an election, you get to the portion where you vote for the judges. And you say, but who are these people? What is this about? How do I pick? How do I decide who the judge should be? The judges' campaigns are different. The rules around their campaigns are different. The role is different. For people who listen to this show, I know that that includes some of you who are the person in your family or on your block or in your friend group that people call up or text or chat up and say, who are you voting for for blank? And I know that happens with judges more than any other race. We're interviewing the judges, the candidates for judge. And that includes in just one very moment, in fact, just about right now, Sonia Bantelbano, candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Judge. We're excited about that. We'll also have news with my dad a little bit later. And I hope you're enjoying the local. I put it out every darn day. Every darn day. You should go to xraypod.com, check it out. Subscribe to it. Share it with friends. Listen to it whatever you want. I hope you don't listen to it when we're live, because, you know, we're live. But otherwise, listen to it whenever you want. Is Sonia with us? Why don't we Why don't we listen to Sonia? Why don't we get a chance to meet the candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Judge? Are you there, Sonia? I, I am here, Jefferson. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners about what is a very unique uh, race in uh, Multnomah County. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll start out how we start out pretty much all of these. Who are you? And what are you running for? Why are you running? Um, well, I am one of three daughters to two very hardworking parents. I sometimes think when I tell people about my life, it's something right out of a novel or maybe a Scorsese movie, depending on what you pay attention to. But uh, my mom came here from Sweden when she was 17 from uh, for a small farm town. She wanted a better life for herself. And my dad was born on a bed in a tenement in Brooklyn to two Italians who uh, came here also for a better life. And I grew up in New York. Uh, and because I grew up there and because of my background, you know, I really grew up with this idea of the American dream and the melting pot. And anyone could come here from anywhere and be anything they wanted to be. But as I grew up, I looked around and I realized, huh, that is not the case for everyone. And some people had opportunities that others didn't. I found that to be very frustrating. I found that to be very unfair and I wanted to change it. And in my family, there was great respect for the people that we understood had the opportunity to change what we felt was something that was unfair and that was either politicians or lawyers. And so uh, I went to school, I put my way through, I became a lawyer and for 23 years, uh, that's exactly what I've done. I've worked helping people who were being taken advantage of by their employers by uh, not having their wages paid, people who have been discriminated against, people who have been harassed, people who have been significantly injured in personal injury cases. I've helped people from all walks of life. I've also advised businesses when they wanted to start up, and I've really enjoyed doing that. The, just the fact that I'm a lawyer is amazing to me. But I want to be a judge because what I realized 
is I can walk alongside my client and advocate for them and fight for them and do my best job. But if we go into court and they don't feel that they were treated fairly by the judge or they were listened to or respected, all of the work that I have put in to help them feel that they are getting their fair day in court is for naught. And it's judges that have the ability to do that. I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of the judges in Multnomah County in different capacities, and I've seen that for the most part they really work to do that, and I decided that is what I wanted to be a part of, and that's why I'm running. It's a good precursor to this question, answers a portion of it, but what's that moment of decision like? We have probably some idea of what it's like if you're a state legislator, state legislator and you decide to run for secretary of state. But if you're a lawyer and you decide, you know what, I'm going to make this half a career change to a judge. What is that decision like? Or for you, was it something you knew you always wanted to do, so you were just waiting for an open spot? I have wanted to be a judge for a number of years. Recognizing that, I tried to take steps that would put me in the best position to hit the ground running when that happened, if it were fortunate enough to happen. I've worked with different nonprofits uh, in Oregon and Multnomah County to familiarize myself with the issues that are facing the judiciary. I've worked with the Campaign for Equal Justice, which raises money for legal aid. I was on the board of Southeast Works, an amazing organization in Southeast Portland that deals with multi-barriered populations, uh, one of them being nonviolent offenders that are getting out of prison or jail and helping connect them to resources to reduce the chances that they will become repeat offenders. And they've been one of the most successful organizations in the country to do that. I've also, uh, you know, in making that decision, this was different than a lot of other situations because uh, typically opportunities to become a judge present themselves and it go, there's an appointment process that people go through. In this case, uh, it's an open election, which is very rare. This hasn't happened for 12 years in Multnomah County. And when the opportunity was presented to me, Judge Silver, the judge who's retiring, let me know that he was retiring, said it was going to be an open election, said I should think about it. I did do some due, did some due diligence. And that was a very different type of decision because running a campaign is very different than going through the appointment process. But I'd worked on that race 12 years ago. I had a lot of experience working with elections in uh, various capacities. I was on the board of the Oregon League of, uh, the steering committee for Oregon League of Conservation Voters for many years, and we worked with different candidates and endorsing and supporting campaigns. And I thought, this is, this is the time to do it and to try. So that, that was the decision process for me. Explain how the campaigns work. A campaign for judge and the rules around a campaign for judge are different. Talk about how you explore, how you uh, deal with the context of running for the judiciary. Well, the biggest difference between running for a judicial position and running for a different type of public office, uh, there's two things. Number one, a judge is a nonpartisan position. So you're not a Democrat or Republican, an independent. It's, uh, you're supposed to represent all of the people who appear before you. And so I think it is good that they are nonpartisan positions. The other big difference in running for judge versus a different type of office is you cannot ask for money yourself. 
uh, a lot of candidates that I've worked with have said over the years, over and over, and you, you may know this yourself, Jefferson, from your own experience, they hate dialing for dollars. They have to be on the phone. They have to go out there. They have to try and, and they have to ask people, please give me money. And you're not allowed. That is, I'm not allowed to, and I'm really glad for that because <laughs> I will say as someone who has worked on so many different campaigns in the past, that was the part I liked the least, asking people to give you money because you know it doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> and to say, I want you to reflect your support for me by writing a check, that's a hard thing to ask. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to do it. Other people can do it on your behalf. People who believe in you and support you can ask uh, people that they know. And, and you can uh, recruit them. Yes, exactly. You, you get a, a campaign committee around you or a steering committee, and they go forth and ask on your behalf. But you cannot. And I think that's great. What's at stake in a county circuit court election, and how do voters understand what's at stake? I think voters understand what's at stake by educating themselves and people who do play a more active role in the court system, going out and communicating to them what's at stake and what's important. And that's one of the reasons I'm so appreciative of X-Ray doing these interviews, because I don't know that people truly understand what's at stake if it's not impacting them directly. And most people don't find themselves involved in the court system, but what goes on there impacts all of us. I think the things that are at stake in this uh, circuit court election is, number one, a sense of integrity in our judicial system, and number two, the future of our court system. What do we want that to look like? In respect to the judicial integrity, I think Oregon, with the appointment process, historically has a, a good track record. You don't hear a lot of complaints about it. But I think things have been going on at the national level with respect to appointments to the judiciary, where you've seen so many stories in the news where people have called that into question. There has been such divisiveness. You can use the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh as an example, where people are now calling into question, is the judicial system really the fair the, the level playing field that it's supposed to be. And so here's a unique opportunity for the people of Multnomah County to say, you know what, I'm going to look into the people who are running for judge and I'm going to decide who is going to best effort represent me or the interests, the things I'm concerned about. And they have a, an opportunity to do that. The other thing in terms of future of the court system the judges in Multnomah County right now are overwhelmed with the issues that are facing so many of the courts throughout the country. There are an overwhelming number of people coming to them who are in the midst of mental health crises, addiction issues, houselessness, and just the ability to get into the court system uh, and adequate representation. And Multnomah County does a good job of trying to deal with those issues, but it's not working. If it were working, we wouldn't have this revolving door of people who are coming into the court system who really shouldn't be there. And so what's at stake here is what's going to happen in the future to the court system? How will it evolve? Can it evolve? Can we get people on the bench who are going to have thoughtful, creative solutions who have a track record of executing on ideas they have had? That's who you want to be on the bench, someone who's going to come there with an openness to ideas and a willingness to do the work 
to improve the court system in such a way that it will better serve everyone in the community. We're talking to Sonia Montalbano. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, who is first-generation college student, put herself through college, graduated magna cum laude from Cooney Hunter College, and later earned her J.D. from Lewis and Clark Law School, now running for one of the first open seats, one of the only open seats that happens with the judiciary here, running for the circuit court. The first time we interviewed judicial candidates, there was a contested seat, but it was somebody who was running against someone who had just been recently appointed. And excuse me, not an open seat, it was a contested seat. This time, open because the judge who's there isn't running again or and is not going to stay in the judiciary. Sonia is one of four candidates who is running. Sonia, what ends up deciding these races? What ends up being the winning factor or the losing factor? You know, it's interesting you ask that because, as you pointed out, this is not something that happens a lot. There can be contested cases, but in an open seat, it hasn't happened for a long time. I worked on the campaign for Judge Cheryl Albright. She's now the chief criminal judge in Multnomah County. And when she ran, I think what made the difference in that case is we were able to really get her message out and introduce her to the voters in a way where they connected with her. That is what I think makes the difference. Understanding that the person who is coming to you and introducing themselves, asking for your support, is a real person. They will understand your issues. They will treat you in a way that you would want to be treated or you'd want your mother, your brother, your sister, who had to appear before them. And, uh, you know, back then we did it sort of the old-fashioned way. We, we had her in parades. And you know, we had her going to different public events. Uh, and what I was astounded by, what I learned from that was how many people said, wow. First they said, I didn't know judges ran. I didn't understand that. And number two, I didn't know judges got elected. I've never met a judge. I think so this does surprise folks. I think it surprises folks because, in part, the campaigns are smaller and they're also more seldom. I think it surprises a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So uh, in this case, it's... It, it, we're facing some it's a different playing field out there because you know what you want to do is connect with people and let them know who you are and what you want to do and now you have to figure out a way to do it from a socially appropriate distance (laughs) now we're not allowed to ask i can't say will you let my cousin Vinny off for his parking tickets right how are you going to (laughs) decide the following cases we don't those questions are not sort of within bounds but here's one that i think is how do you manage your own bias? How do you recognize it? How do you flush it out? And or how do you embrace it? How do you apply it? Talk to us about bias. Well, I, one of the things I think we've all come to learn over the last few years is everybody uh, has bias. No matter how evolved a person you think you are, it's just by virtue of uh, growing up. And what you need to do is be mindful that you might be biased and really do the hard work to question it, figure it out, get past it, and check it at the door. One of the things I am really grateful about is having grown up in New York where I was surrounded by different communities, cultures, languages, religions. I feel very fortunate to have what I like to call a cultural competency. Uh, You know, I come from a background that is not a traditional background for becoming a lawyer, much less a judge. And uh, 
uh, as a result, I feel that gives me the, will give me the ability to connect with the people uh, that are in front of me, and that will outweigh, you know, the, the I hope, the, you know, the implicit biases that, that we all share. But really, I think the most important thing is be aware of them. Don't be afraid to admit you might have them. Do the work, ask the questions, and then do what you can to check it at the door. Here's a question from a listener. If in your judgment, a lawyer is doing an inadequate job in representing their client, what do you think it is appropriate for a judge to do? That's a great question. And I want to make sure that there's a distinction drawn between inadequate and incompetent. If a judge feels that a lawyer is acting in a manner that is so incompetent that they are harming their client, there are steps that a judge can take uh, to uh, address that. But inadequate representation uh, can come from any number of things. It can come from inexperience. It can come from a lack of just understanding. So what a judge can do in those cases is try and figure out where those inadequacies are and educate the lawyer about them in a way where the judge is not advocating. For example, let's say a case comes before a judge. It's in an area of law that the judge is more familiar with than the lawyer who is appearing before them. The judge has to listen to the arguments that are made by the lawyer, but they also can ask the lawyer questions that may prompt that lawyer to think further on the issue that they are trying to present to the judge. And the judge can give that lawyer more time to think about uh, the uh, arguments that they are making. So I think questioning uh, is one of the ways. Listening is another way. Sometimes you're not going to be able to do it, and you know you have to uh, deal with the situation as it comes. That's one of the hard parts about being a judge is you have to you can't advocate for those people who are appearing before you, but you can try and educate the lawyers and give them the opportunities not to get in their own way. I, as an arbitrator, I an arbitrator in the Multnomah County a mandatory arbitration program, and I have been for many years, one of the things I do as an arbitrator, whenever I've had people appear before me, when I've issued a decision, if I felt that perhaps the lawyer wasn't as up to snuff as I would have liked them to be, in addition to asking questions during the proceeding that I hope will lead that lawyer in the right direction, um, I also issue letter opinions explaining why I made the decision that I did. And I think that's important not only for the lawyers, it's also for the clients. You can do that during a proceeding as well. You have to make sure that the client, the person who's appearing before you, feels that they were given and their lawyer was given the opportunity to explain the situation and get all the information before the judge that they needed to make the decision that had to be made. As a lawyer, what is something that's driven you nuts that a judge has done? Feel free to name names or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, one of the more frustrating uh, things that I've encountered is when someone who is maybe part of a big firm, they've got this great reputation, and sometimes lawyers don't play fair. I think that's in the minority, but it does happen. And they 
have more power than you and they rely on their reputation and uh, say, you know, for example, getting documents and they hold and hold and hold and they don't give you what you need and then you have to file a motion to compel and eventually it's the day of this argument and they give you the documents and the judge just lets them off the hook. And I, that has been frustrating to me. Um, I wish uh, judges were held lawyers uh, a little bit more, their feet a little bit more to the fire about producing uh, documents and not using their economic uh, advantage over uh, other lawyers and other parties who are not in the same space. What should a judge do in that circumstance? Well, I think a judge should be, I would like judges to be more open to imposing sanctions for attorneys who don't play by the rules. Uh, sanctions are significant, but if if they, they are appropriate in some circumstances, and I think there's a hesitancy on the part of judges to impose them, so that's something I would like to see more of. But I also would like to see them work in, and argue in favor of procedures that make it easier for uh, people to be held accountable. You don't want to just do it, you know. I've, look, I've had clients where they've been slow to produce documents to me, so uh, you know, but if it's clear there's a, a system and a timeline, then I think that can that can help with that process. And explain sanctions. When a lawyer gets sanctioned, what does that mean? So a sanction uh, is when essentially there's a monetary punishment or fine <clears throat> directed to the lawyer for not following the rules. So uh, so it's go. It, it's it's money, but it's also it's money, but then it's also probably a pockmark on their on their curriculum vitae. I don't know how much people really pay attention to that. I mean, okay. there are a lot of firms in town where people have been sanctioned for discovery violations. It depends on the nature of the sanction. Okay. But, um, yeah. No. I, I, it's definitely something I look into when I have someone on the other side to see if they've ever been sanctioned before and. I've had cases with lawyers on the other side who have been sanctioned, and when they've engaged in a similar behavior with me, I bring it up to the judge right away, and it's been very effective in actually shutting down that behavior. So, you know. Uh, What's been the most challenging part about campaigning? You already mentioned that you can't raise money, and every candidate for every office in heck anywhere is trying to figure out how to campaign in the context of Zoom and chat lines as distinct from knocking <laughs> on doors and house parties. What's been most challenging to you about this campaign? I do think that the inability to meet with people has been the most challenging part. I am someone who loves to talk with people. I'm very much a doer and having the inability to go out and introduce myself to people and talk with them and listen. I want to be able to hear from people what their concerns are about the court. And those opportunities have definitely been abbreviated as a result of uh, COVID-19. Now, the good news is that campaigns are flexible and they figure out different ways to get around those obstacles. And one of the things that that will entail is probably there will be much more mail than there was in a typical judicial election. So uh, that may go a long way towards helping the post office, which is what you were just talking about. <laughs> Anything a judge has ever done that either with you as the lawyer or just with you watching in some other manner that inspired you or said, you know what, if I'm a judge someday, I want to act like that? Yes, yes. I had a case recently 
um, in Multnomah County where uh, my client experienced a very significant, traumatic, life-changing personal injury. And it was hard fought and it was before a judge and it was a long trial. It was a two and a half week trial and jurors are giving up a lot when they agree to sit on a panel for that long. And I felt the judge in that case did what I would use as a textbook going forward in my own role as a judge in terms of explaining to the jury their role, the importance of it, giving them the opportunity to ask questions and ensuring that uh, the parties and my client was truly given the opportunity to present her case. So that is that is something I very much appreciate. And that, you know, that instructing the jury is critical because they have to understand how important their role is. And uh, as I said, giving giving them the ability to ask questions so that the parties are afforded the opportunity to get a fair outcome. You have a favorite Supreme Court justice, alive or immortal? <laughs> the immortal Ruth Bader Ginsburg is my favorite Supreme Court justice. Um, she, I, I, I love her for so many reasons, but mostly because she uh, comes from Brooklyn. She grew up not far from my father. They were roughly the same age. And she was held up as an example to me of, look, look what you can do with your life. Look how far you can go. Um, the, the, the things that she fought for, how she fought for them, her intelligence, her savviness, and her ability to get along with people who disagree with her, most famously Antonin Scalia. Uh, I really admire that, and I would hope to emulate her in every way possible should I be fortunate enough to be elected to the bench. Including never, ever dying. Sonia Montalbano, <laughs> thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. Thank you so much, Jefferson, for bringing this race to the public's attention. I really appreciate it. Candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Court Judge, have a great day. We will be right back in just a moment. This is X-Ray Radio Shores.